Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. Brandon Weikert with us. We're talking about his work, Winning Space. And where do people get your book, Brandon? Oh, you can get it on any online realtor-retailer, Amazon. It's, uh, it's coming out September 15th, but it's available for pre-order now. Now, the Space Force itself, uh, if we had 10,000 members, they're not all going to be up at space at one time. What do we need them for? Well, basically, right now, we're no, no, no member of Space Force or any other branch, unless they're in NASA, is, is going to be physically in space. Inevitably, right now, they're doing all the remote sort of, you know, monitoring of satellites and whatnot and ground stations. Uh, but inevitably, as I argue in the book, we're going to need to adapt uh, a strategy for actually having, uh, they haven't quite, I don't think they've quite decided on the term yet, either spacers or space troopers. We're going to need to develop uh, a strategy for putting uh, actual Space Force members in orbit to man military space stations. The uh, Defense Innovation Unit over at the Pentagon has already begun putting feelers out for the last year and a half for proposals for military space stations, uh, which would be used to sort of uh, uh, house personnel as well as to allow for uh, sort of tripwires in space, put them near uh, sensitive systems and make it harder for China or Russia to knock out our satellites. It's sort of like NATO, where we put our forces right in the kind of crosshairs of Russia, or back in the day, the Soviet Union, with the logic being that they're going to be a little less likely, unless there's a real crisis, to take a shot at our people. Uh, right now, it's a low-cost endeavor, relatively speaking, for China or Russia to target unmanned systems in orbit. But if you put military space stations, command centers up in orbit, and you create sort of uh, you know, sw uh, swarms of satellites mm -hmm. commanded by those space stations. You'll have line of sight will be much better than it is from Earth to space. It'll be line of sight from the military space station to the potential satellite swarms. You'll have C2 functions that'll be better. Um, and so that's inevitably where we want to get to, I think, is having actual personnel in space um, as well as being able to deploy personnel from space, drop them into a combat zone. These are things that this was a sustained program that the Marine Corps and Special Forces were in 2002 very interested in, uh, and now I think they're starting to look back into that program again using a, uh, a space plane from uh, similar to what Branson is using with the Virgin Galactic, um, weaponizing it and using it to deploy kind of hunter-killer teams uh, on special forces missions, sort of to avoid some of the legal issues that come with overflight rights as they currently exist, uh, dealing with the war on terror, for instance. And so these are these are things that are in the very early stages of discussion right now at a doctrinal level for Space Force, and I think that's where we're going to go. But in terms of where we are now, uh, Space Force really is just manning sort of uh, uh, terminals at uh, you know, military stations in Colorado and California, uh, mm -hmm. and they're, they're doing everything remotely. But eventually we're going to need the infrastructure to be able to support actual military operations with military personnel in space. Brandon, take us through a hypothetical space war. What, yeah. What's actually happening? So it would be not as as sexy as it appears in either Star Trek or Star Wars, on you know, unfortunately, but it would be 
very lethal uh, in terms of the ramifications for us here on Earth. Basically, uh, one day we could wake up and no uh, cell set, no cell service, for example, no cell service, no no ability to call nine one one, no ability to no, nothing. I mean, your your anything electronic that requires uh, a signal will be disrupted. It will, at the very least, be laggy but it would probably be totally disrupted because the system would become overloaded. I have friends in the Navy who say, yeah, but we have undersea cables that we could offload a lot of the operations onto, and I just think that's a laughable concept. Mm -hmm. First of all, they can nowhere near handle the load of a modern society like ours. And second of all, everyone in the world, all the intelligence agencies, know where those lines are. In the Cold War, both we and the Russians were experts at tapping in and cutting those lines. The Chinese have the same capability with submersibles, so that's not a really good backup plan. We can't rely too much on drones because they're not as effective as satellites with handling the load long term. So we would be deaf, dumb, and blind as a society. Uh, They could use lasers to blind satellites temporarily. They could use uh, traditional anti-satellite killer vehicles, basically think of a missile launched up from the Earth, tracks a satellite in orbit, knocks it out, creates a debris field, of course, and that could cause a lot of secondary and third uh, tier damage to nearby satellites. It's the Kessler syndrome. Basically, it creates a ricochet of debris that knocks out everything in orbit, and then you've got a real catastrophe on your hands. Uh, or they could use what I was talking about earlier, which were the, the space stalkers, the co-orbital satellites, to physically push our satellites out of orbit. And I actually think that is the most likely uh, method of attack because I think that has the least chance for, for unintended damage. The whole thing about a space Pearl Harbor, as I talk about in the book, yeah. is for Russia or China, they're going to want to minimize secondary damage. They're not going to necessarily want to take out satellites that belong to countries other than the United States and our allies. How do they know? Well, we have, a, we have an international registry. So the, the, the UN maintains an international registry of all satellites in orbit. There's like 2,000 satellites up there, right? Yeah, they, yeah they, and, and they, they have, there, is a federal, there is a national registry, then the FAA also, there's gov- federal government also has, has registries. And basically, it's, it, is, it is not that difficult for a foreign rival to figure out where our systems are. Uh, about five or six years ago, the Russians took great joy in publishing uh, photos they took of very sensitive, what were at the time newer uh, surveillance satellites that we had just put up, and they, they found them within no time. Uh, it's not difficult for a dedicated enemy with the kind of capabilities that Russia, China, or ourselves have uh, to be able to track and, and sort of figure out what our satellites are doing. Even when we don't publish exactly what their, their, their mission is, it's pretty obvious you can determine from the orbit and sort of what they're focused on, uh, what, what exactly the, the satellite mission set is and how sensitive or important it is. Satellites in geosynchronous orbit, which is the furthest orbit away from Earth, 
we, those are where our most sensitive satellites and most vulnerable satellites are. Those are where the early missile warning satellites are. That's where a lot of the, 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 the MUOS constellation I talked about for the Navy. It's where the wideband global satcom constellation is for the Army. Um, you've got uh, surveillance satellites up there. A lot of things that can go, can be very bad for us if we lost are up there. And by the way, in 2013, the Chinese, under the guise of a scientific mission, uh, they began testing systems that can actually reach into geosynchronous orbit uh, and obviously threaten our systems there. And the Russians have the same capability. They even blew up one of theirs, and we were concerned about the parts hitting the ISS and everything else. That's absolutely. Well, you're talking about the 2007 Chinese ASAT test, which I identify as being year zero. 2007 is year zero in the new space race. Uh-huh. That was the, the year that they, the Chinese, uh, out of the blue, did this very dangerous, very sloppy uh, test where they launched an anti-satellite missile up at one of their derelict weather satellites, blew it up, and created, and it's still in orbit today, it, it created the largest debris cluster in the history of human yeah, And space. you don't need a big piece to damage something, no. right? Think of the film, you're right, and think of the film uh, Gravity with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. Right. The whole, the whole uh, story of that film was that the Russians woke up one day and decided to randomly test an ASAT weapon, which accidentally created this cascade of destruction, which knocked out the entire global satellite constellations uh, and, of course, created all kinds of problems for the characters in that movie. But the, the point is, is that that is a, based on the Kessler syndrome. That is a real risk that we're running today um, and which is why and the Russians and Chinese are aware of that and I think particularly the Russians if they were going to do a surprise attack would probably prefer a co-orbital satellite attack the Chinese with their 2007 ASAT attack though were sending a signal to the Americans that a they can do this and b if need be, they'll risk taking out the world's satellites because right now there's an, asymm- there's an asymmetrical, there's an imbalance uh, in the ability, in our ability to rely on satellites. Basically, we rely disproportionately on satellites that, more so than our enemies do. Now, that could change over the next decade, especially as China's becoming more advanced. But until the next decade, there's really going to be an imbalance in the way that we rely on satellites relative to how our enemies do. Is it an act of war? do you think, to take out a satellite? I would argue that it is. Um, there is some gray area, especially there, especially we're talking about things like a laser attack, which temporarily blinds a satellite. My understanding is basically a laser fired at the optical gear of a satellite that temporarily shuts down a satellite, doesn't necessarily permanently destroy it. It makes attribution more difficult, and the satellite basically shuts down and kind of opens its solar energy cells up to the sun to recharge, and you basically have to hope that the ground operators can reconnect with it. And in the meantime, that creates a gap in our surveillance, communications, uh, you know, early missile warning systems, which would give the Chinese or the Russians uh, a window of opportunities to exploit and surge their forces into a contested part of the Earth. Um, and that's sort of the basis of a, of a counter space attack, render the Americans blind. So it's hard to be able, in some cases, to be able to attribute the attack 
and uh, it would be difficult for us to say it's an act of war. But yes, technically, I believe it is an act of war, yes. But who do you blame? How do you blame? What if yeah, you know, and, and the Chinese say, we didn't do it, the Russians absolutely. did, and then vice versa? Absolutely, and that's the key. We do have the ability, though, to basically backtrace and figure out. It would just take time. A laser attack would be very hard for us to determine, but we would figure it out. And we can especially figure it out because the Chinese have been extremely hot and heavy in laser technology for counterspace operations development. And so we, I, we have ways. It's just like with cyber attacks. There's a myth out there that we have no ability to know exactly where a cyber attack comes from, which I, I, I have friends that work in the NSA, and they laugh whenever they hear that in the news. We have the ability to attribute these things. It just takes a little bit of time, but we can figure it out. It's, it's not impossible. Uh, something like a co-orbital satellite attack, I think, would be more effective against our systems. But, of course, that makes attribution a bit easier for us. And an ASAT test as well should at least theoretically be easier for us because there's only a handful of countries that have this capability, and really two, China and Russia, that have a purpose and reason for doing such an attack. I learned after nine years in the Navy, Brandon, that our big deterrent was our nuclear submarine systems. Yeah. Those, those were the ones. I mean, yeah, we had it, them parked right off the coasts of those countries, right. and we could hit them in a matter of minutes. Yes, that's right. That's right. And, of course, the downside is, though, they're so dependent on satellites. Satellites, today. absolutely. And, you know, so the concern, I mean, uh, we also have a problem with spoofing. And so that's where basically a third party can come in and pretend, can hijack the signal from satellite to the downlink signal from the satellite to, in this case, say, the submarine, and can either send it off course. We see a lot of attempts of spoofing of the American Global Positioning System satellite network. We see this a lot, and Russia and China both have been very heavily invested. So you could have an instance, for, for example, where um, the Chinese can track our subs, uh, we can track theirs, of course, but the Chinese, this is a little known fact, but they can track our subs. And so the Chinese could track a U.S. you know, nuclear submarine coming into their part of the world, and they could spoof signals coming down to the sub for navigation and send it you know, running ashore or send it crashing into a reef and sink it without yep. it ever getting close yep. to the area of operations. And uh, so th- this is a threat that we have to deal with, and we're not really quite there yet with addressing it. We're starting to, but we've seen a lot of outages that I've often wondered, uh, outages in the GPS system over the last few years that I've often wondered are actually the Air Force attempting to mitigate what are spoofing attempts from our rivals. They'd never admit it in public, but that's just some suspicion that I've had on certain issues. And I believe our subs have been told, if you do not hear from us, that's us being the the United States, the mainland, at a certain given times, you launch. Yeah, that used to be the hair trigger. Yeah, that used to be how it is. I, that was during the Cold War. I'm not exactly certain with the Navy on. I know there are redundancies now built in. Um, there but, better be. Know, yeah, but, you know, I don't trust the redundancy because everything ultimately goes back to the satellites. And if an enemy is manipulating the satellites or has deprived us of satellites, 
you know, they're, they're, it causes a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And even if nobody launches, well, that also then mitigate that, that makes our, uh, our nuclear deterrent not very effective because what happens if the Chinese, for instance, know that our nuclear, uh, deterrent has been rendered ineffective? Well, that's going to make them more likely to just go roughshod on launching their own systems, knowing that, hey, the Americans are unlikely to be able to respond, and then the balance of terror is lost. Brandon, why can't we just all get, 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 get together and be good with each other and have a great life? Why can't uh, they do that? It's, you know, it's human nature. It's, uh, I think it was Adam Smith who observed human nature is flawed but fixed. And uh, that question has kind of been the basis of my academic career. And that's why I study international relations and foreign policy, because I'm fascinated by the fact that we live in a world of abundance. I mean, we live in the, I mean, now is the best time, even with COVID, now is the best time to be alive. And yet we're at each other's throats and it's just It's crazy. I mean, I, I would try to build the best defense system in the planet, in the world, with the hopes of never having to use it. That's right. Well, that's the Reagan model. That's the model that I prefer. Um, and that's why I support not only protecting our satellites, but I support the Space Force eventually being able to actually deploy uh, Reagan's dream of the Strategic Defense Initiative, because not just Russia and China, but Iran and North Korea, the nuclear rogue states, are a problem, and we can't rely on anyone else to protect us from those nuclear arming threats. And the best deterrence would be putting up an actual viable space-based missile defense system that we could save to Pyongyang and Tehran. You know what? You can build all the nukes you want, but guess what? They're not going to ever leave the Earth, because if they do, we're going to knock them out of the sky before they ever Right. Come. They're coming right down, crashing on you, That's folks. Right. That's right. Absolutely. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.